Join walking baseball encyclopedia Paul Francis Sullivan, and please call him Sully, every day on Locked on MLB for a unique look at the majors both present and past, featuring exciting guest interviews, routine check-ins from the Locked on MLB Network's team of local experts, and insightful analysis on the day's biggest stories. Locked on MLB is the single best source for daily baseball talk. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Locked on Phillies podcast. Today is Monday, June 7th. 2021, a hot day here in the city of Philadelphia, a hot weekend all weekend long. That means it is summer baseball weather as we continue into June with this Philly schedule. Phillies coming off a series win against the Washington Nationals. The last time they had won a series was against the Nationals. I mentioned that last week. It had been a few weeks. Nationals come to Philadelphia for the first time all season, and they win two of three, a weird series that we'll recap more in its entirety a little bit later on in the show. They lost on Friday. Battled back, won games on Saturday, won games on Sunday, had the return of Bryce Harper. You had a Zach, a nice Zach Wheeler start in there in a game they unfortunately lost. Spencer Howard started a game, Vince Velasquez started a game, they won both of those. Now the home run hat is apparently a thing, the Panama hat where Archie Bradley is wearing, uh, he wore a hat apparently in the clubhouse and everyone really took to it, found some hilarity in it. So now they have, I believe, a couple of hats circling around the dugout, and when you hit a home run, you get to wear the Panama hat. It's the kind of weird story that this baseball team needs. It kind of goes along the lines of the bird pooping on Archie Bradley in Cincinnati. So Bradley certainly finds himself in the middle of these clubhouse stories that sometimes spark wins in weird Major League seasons like that. You had the netting falling at Citizens Bank Park yesterday. That was certainly weird as the Phillies exploded for 12 runs in a four-and-a-half-hour game. Again, we will get to recapping all of those games a little bit later on in the show, but I wanted to start today with an issue with this Phillies team that has been going on, feels like, since the beginning of time, and that is the development of their young players. And perhaps there are, I would argue, not two more important young players on this team right now and in this organization than the likes of Alec Bohm and Spencer Howard. And you look at how the two of them have played this season, how the two of them have played recently, how the two of them have fared here developing within the Philly system. Now, Spencer Howard, of course, the team's top pitching prospect. He's now been in the majors for a little bit. And Alec Bohm playing his second season here on the big league roster for the Philadelphia Phillies was second in rookie of the year voting last year. The only reason he didn't win was because of Devin Williams on the Brewers, who had a phenomenal season that's no knock on Alec Bohm. But Spencer Howard and Alec Bohm are so imperative to the long-term success of this organization. And right now, it's hard to be super excited about either one of them. And I'm looking at this past weekend, and Alec Bohm, we know, has struggled all season long, and some people think he was he's going to figure it out. I certainly have my doubts. I mean, I have reason for optimism. I don't think you have the type of season he did last year coming up playing 44 games in the big leagues, having a 338 batting average, a 400 on base percentage, a 481 slugging percentage, and 160 at-bats. I get it was only a 60-game sample size, but we have about a 60-game sample size for the Phillies here so far this season. And it got to the point where by the end of the year, if you had to pick anyone up with runners in scoring position game on the line, you would want Alec Bohm up at the plate. Kind of an old-school hitter, knows how to drive balls into the gaps, hit line drives, doesn't go for that big home run swing, doesn't like to strike out. Kind of an old-school approach. 
And he has come out this season and has done nothing but disappoint. Certainly we knew he wasn't a great defensive player, and you hold your breath every time a ball is hit to third base, but he made up for it last year with his offense, and so far in 57 games played for the Phillies this season, he's got a 209 batting average, 254 on base, 301 slugging percentage. He's coming off a series against the Washington Nationals, again, where the team played well, winning two out of three. Team exploded for 12 runs in yesterday's ballgame, and he went one for nine in the series against the last place Nationals. And it's just very concerning, not just because he's in a slump, and I get he's been hitting the ball hard a lot of the season and hitting into outs, and he's hit into a ton of double plays, but it's even more so concerning when it feels like there's one type of method to get him out, which is just pump fastballs, not even necessarily hard-throwing fastballs. I've said it, I think, a few times here that there have been fastballs, low 90s, 91, 92, 93, where it looks like he's just not catching up to it. He looks out of sorts. He's starting to get visibly frustrated with himself, which was not the type of thing you saw out of Alec Bohm last year. And it's quite concerning because he, he looked like a confident a professional hitter, as they say, uh, a season ago. He looked like a veteran, and he is an older prospect for sure. But he looked like he had been playing in the big leagues five years if you watched his at-bats. And this year, he looks like a fish out of water. There are at-bats where he doesn't look like a major league player. I'm not suggesting that he isn't one. I still have high hopes for him. He was my number one thing to watch coming into the season, for crying out loud. Like, I, re I really took to Alec Bohm, and I think everyone did. I think the organization did. And now in his second season, he has done nothing but struggle, basically. Struggle after struggle after struggle, bad series after bad series, tons of poor at-bats that we didn't see a season ago in about the same sample size. And yes, there's still plenty of time in the season to turn it around. We're a week into June. We have an entire second half of the season still to go coming up beginning in July. But this is a long-term concern just because of the overall lack of ability the Phillies have shown over time to develop prospects. And now I'm going to pivot to their, the pitching prospect that we all had high hopes for in Spencer Howard. He pitched on Saturday against the Nationals in a game, as I mentioned, the Phillies won. But this is a recurring problem now with Spencer Howard. And this isn't the issue of the Phillies not allowing the training wheels to come off and them not wanting to push Spencer Howard through too many innings. He went two and a third didn't allow any runs, 48 pitches. And the reason why Spencer Howard did not continue this game is because his velocity just falls off. He can't, it's as if he's a relief pitcher out there. He's shown nothing this season other than the ability to basically be a reliever, not a starting pitcher, because he can't go more than two innings. He's getting into the third inning, and his fastball, which was as high as 97 miles an hour in the first, is already at 91. And for a guy who's a hard thrower like him, who relies a lot on his fastball, and of course, Every pitcher relies on their fastball. You know, off-speed is only as good as your fastball and setting up your fastball is. It's just really, really concerning, not even just in the microcosm of this season, but long-term, because the Phillies have such a long-standing history of having prospects not pan out and their development system not having a lot of players that they can really hang their hat on and say, hey, we did a good job with him. It's quite concerning that... At the same time, Spencer Howard and Alec Bohm are having the seasons that they're having. Now, Spencer Howard's got a 461 ERA. He's pitched in the minors. He's now pitched in the big leagues uh, a couple of starts so far this season. But the inability to just go more, I mean, you need, Ranger Suarez came in relief, and he's actually been really good for the Phillies. He threw one less pitch than Spencer Howard did. He went three innings, was scoreless, 
and ended up being the winning pitcher in the game and being the more important pitcher in the game, it's like a team effort between the two of them because between Spencer Howard and Ranger Suarez, who's been acting as you know the multiple inning relief guy now that you almost need when Spencer Howard goes, it's like you get, it still was like a five and a third inning start just between the two of them. It's like a tag team effort, which is not what you're hoping for with Spencer Howard as your top pitching prospect panning out within the organization. So I certainly have huge, huge long-term concerns for the both of them. Spencer Howard, probably even more so, because when it comes to pitchers, like pitchers are, they can be weird individuals. And once you get into arm problems and arm injuries, this is not, this is not like an, it's an inability, but it's not a lack of location or a lack of command. This is his arm just physically not having the stamina to go as deep into games as you need him to be able to go for a team that lacks a lot of, could use more starting pitching depth, certainly, lacks a lot of homegrown pitchers. Aaron Nola is the only homegrown pitcher who you really feel good about within this organization, and even he's having a disappointing season by his own standards. But he can at least go deep into games. If Spencer Howard's fastball, this is going to be a thing where he's throwing 91 miles an hour in the third inning, then he's going to have a career as a relief pitcher and nothing more, which is wildly, wildly disappointing for a guy who's just in his second year in the big leagues. And for a guy who's second year in the big leagues to realize that he's nothing more than a relief pitcher when he had endless potential as a starter is quite concerning and feels almost fitting in the history of the Phillies' ability to grow their prospects and grow their team. One last thing I wanted to mention, and it was a decision that we saw come over the weekend that Another prospect who was not as highly rated as a guy like Spencer Howard. It wasn't someone who was hyped up the same way, which is Nick Maton. It was sent back down to AAA. And I've been complaining, actually, for a little bit here, that I would like to see Nick Maton get more playing time. And I guess if this is the alternative, Joe Girardi... Look, Joe Girardi is in control of the lineup card. And certainly there's discussions within major league organizations, depending on the dynamic between the president, the GM, the entire front office, and the coaching staff as to how the lineup is constructed. You think back to the movie Moneyball, where Billy Bean, played by Brad Pitt, has a conversation with Art Howe's character about, or with Art Howe, who was the manager of the A's at the time, about how it doesn't really make sense if the front office is doing one thing and the manager is doing another thing. We can, we're only as good as the team we construct if you play them the way they're designed to be played. And so, I don't know the inner workings of the Phillies organization. I was not there when this conversation was had. But Joe Girardi has clearly shown for as much power as he has, and he's a guy who's won the World Series, was brought in to be a culture changer, a, a manager who was spoken very highly of by this front office. He would add tons of wins, which is a conversation for another day, one you've heard many times before. I don't think he's adding nearly the value that they fooled themselves into thinking that he would. He's not playing Nick Maton, or he had not been playing Nick Maton with any type of consistency. We've now seen Ranger Suarez playing a lot of shortstop in lieu of Didi Gregorius. Eventually, they're going to get Didi Gregorius back, and I suppose the the logic here is if we're going to have these more so veteran players playing in place of him, why waste his development in the major leagues, send him back down to the minors, get him every day at bats down in AAA, which on the one hand, I agree with. If it's a given that he's not going to play at the major league level, send him back down to AAA, but I can't be convinced that that's the the right decision here. If Nick, Nick Maton, when he first came up, clearly showed a maturity at the plate, similar, I mean, not exactly, but 
kind of reminding me of Alec Bohm last year. If he's an older prospect and he comes up and immediately it looks like he's hitting in the big leagues and it doesn't look like his first go around. And I get that it's a little bit difficult for pitchers to pitch to a guy the first time because they haven't seen him. There's no film. There's no solution on how to get him out. And now we're seeing a sophomore slump with Alec Bohm. But it, a lot of it was really the skill of Nick Maton. A lot of the early success he had was the ability to have confidence in a major league game and just prove that he belongs, frankly. And besides the fact that he's been one of your best defensive players all year, which is a low bar, quite frankly, but you could use his glove out there. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me why he wasn't getting, why he was being basically stuck in this platoon role. I guess, you know, Joe Girardi knows him better than I do. And at the end of the day, ultimately have to trust in his decision. But I don't really have to. I have to because I'm watching this team every day and I'm not the one making the decisions. But I'm not sold that this is the right move, that this is the best thing for his development, that this is the best thing for the Philadelphia Phillies. I would have rather seen Nick Maton get more everyday playing time. He's obviously, a, he can play a variety of positions. This was the guy we were talking about a month and a half ago before Odubel Herrera came up, that everyone was ready to stick him in center field for the first time in his major, in his professional baseball career, forget major league career, in his professional baseball career because the Phillies didn't have anyone who could play center field. And obviously Odubel Herrera has basically solidified that spot. But in terms of the middle infield, while Gene Segura was out, while Didi Gregorius has been out, there have been times where you could say, get Nick Maton in the lineup. Going back to the Alec Bohm argument, maybe you move some things around. Gene Segura, it's not necessarily the best thing for defense, but he's played third base before. You have a little bit of versatility in that infield. Maybe you get Nick Maton some time at third base. Whatever the case is, there's been a lot of variety in how Joe Girardi has made these lineups this season. It always felt to me that between Alec Bohm struggling, the injury of Didi Gregorius, Gene Segura when he was out, and nearly almost when the Phillies didn't have a solution in center field, that in all of this, Nick Maton, one way or another, should have found himself in the lineup more than he did. And basically because of the lack of time he got in the lineup is why he's back down in AAA. So I'm happy that he's going to get every day at bats. I hope that he basically forces Joe Girardi's hand before the end of the season. I hope he kills it down in AAA in Lehigh Valley, comes back up. I don't root for players to get injured. I hope the Phillies, I hope this is the right decision. I, I'm, I would rather be wrong and have the Phillies benefit from it than be correct and the Phillies struggle as a result. But I do hope Nick Maton finds himself back in the major leagues in the not-so-distant future and finds a way to help this ball club because he was one of the bright spots, I thought, overall of the Philly season and just was never given the chance to be an everyday type of player. And for a team that struggles with young talent and developing young talent, as we're seeing right now with Spencer Howard and Alec Bohm, I'm not sold that this is the right decision. More of the Locked on Phillies podcast coming right up. But first, I want to tell you about the Lucy Company. Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech, Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. Researched and developed for three years, made for people, not patients. Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that come in three different flavors. It's wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. Lucy also has a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three flavors, cherry ice, citrus, and mint. Lucy lozenges and gums are FSA and HSA eligible, so you can use your FSA cards to purchase Lucy now. And it's convenient and discreet. Products can be enjoyed anywhere on flights, at work, on the go, or even while you're hitting the gym. It's 2021. Get rid of your cigarettes. Unplug your vape. Throw out your dip. Get some Lucy, Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. 
This is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month. It's so simple. You don't have to leave your house because Lucy has delivery down. Lucy lozenges and gums are also FSA and HSA eligible, so you can spend pre-tax dollars on them. Locked on MLB Network listeners. Go to lucy.co and the promo code locked on MLB to get 20% off all products on your first order, including gum or lozenges. That's lucy.co and use the promo code locked on MLB to check out. And again, I have to give this disclaimer warning the product, it claims nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. So again, this product, it contains nicotine. It's derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. But be sure to check out lucy.co. Use that promo code locked on MLB and tell them locked on sent you. Recapping the weekend series against the Washington Nationals at Citizens Bank Park, where the Phillies won two out of three. We'll start with Friday's ball game, and it was this was a weird series overall. But this game had a a weird, disappointing ending to it, uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies losing to the Nationals two one. Zach Wheeler goes seven and a third, allows just two runs, five hits, eight strikeouts on 101 pitches. Another phenomenal performance by the ace of the Philly staff this season, Zach Wheeler. And I've highlighted a number of times on this podcast and something we continue to talk about, how the Phillies, how bad the Phillies have been at just winning games when they have their three best pitchers on the mound. You know, the record, it's certainly their numbers this season. You would make, would make you think that the Phillies have some great record or have a better record when they are pitching as opposed to when Vince Velasquez is pitching or when Spencer Howard is pitching or when someone like Chase Anderson or Matt Moore was pitching at the beginning of the season, but they've basically been a 500 now below 500 team when Zach Wheeler, Zach Eflin, and Aaron Nola are on the mound. So it's been quite disappointing. Here's another example of it. Phillies lose 2-1. No offense in this game. The only run was a JT Romuto RBI single in the fourth inning where Gene Segura scored. And with the play everyone was talking about, and it was on a weekend, so I didn't have a chance to react to it the very next day, but I almost thought about dropping an emergency pod just to highlight how ridiculous this ninth inning was. So for those who didn't see it, and I'm sure you have at this point, Reese Hoskins starts the inning out with a double, down to one, and Travis Jankowski goes in the pinch run at second base. And a lot of people took issue with this managerial decision from Joe Girardi, and I've been as critical of Girardi as anyone, but I actually did not take huge issue with this. You have Jankowski on the bench, and even if he's a slight speed upgrade, baseball's a game of inches, you never know, especially it's a reflection of how poor this team has been at offense this season, how poor they've been at offense in this game. You can't say, well, wait until one or two outs, and that's when we're going to stick in the pinch runner. No, the only hit you may get in this inning is, you know, coming up right, coming up next behind uh, Reese Hoskins, which is in JT Realmuto, and then you had Brad Miller, who came up after him, and you can't risk that. So I think you have to put in the faster runner. Or I should say I didn't take issue with putting in the faster runner. But if you're going to put in the faster runner in Travis Jankowski, man, oh, man, this flat out cannot happen. And I cannot understate that enough. This flat out cannot happen. Jankowski gets caught leaning off of second base. The ball was in the dirt. Alex Avila, the Nationals catcher, stops it and catches Jankowski dead in the middle between second and third base. Jankowski, just continual indecisiveness, probably could have made it back if he went back to second base right away. He leans off. Avila kind of stares at him without the ball for a second. Could have made it again. So I think he had, he made one mistake going too far towards third base without the ball actually getting past Avila. This is not a Little League backstop. If it gets to the backstop, you're easily making it to third base. Or even if it squirts away, you could probably easily 
make it to third base. You're in there as a pinch runner, for crying out loud. And you're already in scoring position in the ninth inning. I guess the difference between 90 feet and trying to be aggressive. But just a bad, bad move. You have to let that get by the catcher. Then he could have made it back a second time when he didn't have the ball at first. He didn't do that. So instead, he waits in between second and third base and has Alex Avila literally run at him. And that's what catchers are taught to do all the way up from Little League. And then you're always taught to run at the runner. And then you you push him back one way or another. And then you throw the ball to wherever the runner goes. Then you're in a rundown. Well, Jankowski literally stays in between second and third, and Alex Avila, a catcher in all of the gear, runs down a pinch runner and gets what has to be the the first caught stealing I have ever seen in my entire life. And I've been playing, not that my entire life is that long relative to even guys in the major leagues or older, some people who have been watching baseball since the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, whatever the case is. But I'm 23 years old. I've played... Little League my entire life, played on every possible middle school, high school, travel team, tournament team, you name it. Like, if there was baseball to be played in the area where I grew up and I could physically fit it in, like, I was doing it. And then I've umpired, I've coached since, I've had the chance to broadcast, watch, and go to tons of Phillies games. Like, immersed with baseball my entire life, from birth. As soon as I could hit off a tee and throw. I am fairly certain I have never seen a caught stealing at any level where the catcher did not have to throw the ball. Like, he got a caught stealing, unassisted, ran out there 110 feet with all of his gear and made the tag on Travis Jankowski. Real Muto strikes out. Brad Miller flies out to end the game. And that's how the Phillies lose, 2-1. Just brutal. And the sad thing is, and I tweeted this at the time, it's probably not even the, mo- it's not even the most embarrassing thing that's happened to the Phillies so far this season. It's just added to the list. Added to the list of... Alvarado turning around and Didi Gregorius pointing to throw home. Point added to the list of Joe Girardi forgetting how many mound visits there had been. Added to the list of not having Eniel De Los Santos on the lineup card. Like, this is just another embarrassing indictment on the 2021 Philadelphia Phillies. Fortunately, I'm not still too upset about it, as ridiculous it is that that would happen at the major league level and they wasted a Zach Wheeler start because they actually found a way to win games two and three against the Washington Nationals, which at a certain point in the series two or in the season, I should say, winning two of three in a series just by itself isn't going to be enough, and they're going to have to win series much more consistently than they have been. But they come back on Saturday behind Spencer Howard. He only goes two and a third, as I mentioned. Ranger Suarez goes three innings. Archie Bradley had a scoreless two thirds of an inning. Sam Coonrod pitched a scoreless third of an inning. Jose Alvarado did allow a run, but goes an inning and two thirds to give you 22 pitches. It didn't. He only had one walk in that appearance, which the issue with him is always just where the ball is actually going. Does he have any command of his pitches? So that was certainly nice to see. And then Connor Brogdon closes it out in the ninth inning in a safe opportunity because uh, Hector Neris was actually out on paternity leave in this game. So the Phillies get by and then come back on Sunday for the rubber match, and here's where the offense explodes again. We saw the offense explode earlier this week in Cincinnati, and maybe this is a sign that it won't be quite as rare of an occurrence as it has been, and man, oh man, would that really be a help to this ball club. It's never too late to try and get some offense. They go off for 12 runs, going to try and run through these. It was a McCutcheon, the fourth inning is really where things started popping off. Midway through the fourth inning, the Nationals were up 3-0 with Velasquez on the hill, and you're saying there's no shot they win this game. Fourth inning went as followed. A McCutcheon RBI single, a Brad Miller walk, an Alec Bohm walk. Ronald Torres reaching on a fielder's choice, scored in a run. 
Brad Miller scoring on a wild pitch strikeout where I believe it was Matt Joyce struck out. Odubel Herrera singled, scored Alec Bowman, Ronald Torres. That's how they got seven runs. Bottom of the fifth inning, Brad Miller hit a two-run home run, and that was a shot into the upper deck in right field. Makes it 9-3. And then JT Romuto with the 100th home run of his career, the, the capper adding some insurance in the sixth, runs 10, 11, and 12. And he went up and got that. You know, you tell kids when they're learning to hit, uh, get on top of the baseball. Well, this ball was high, and he went up and got it, took it to the opposite field. Phillies win 12-6. It was another, I'll say, disappointing. It wasn't great from Vince Velasquez. He didn't blow up. He only went four innings, allowed three runs. And again, I'm not, I wasn't super excited, or not excited isn't the word, optimistic, I should say, when he had a number of really strong starts in a row, as uh, frankly, as well as he's actually pitched overall so far this season. He only gets through four innings, 80 pitches, allows three runs, but did ultimately kept the Phillies in the game. They win at 12-6. It was a good, another good outing from the bullpen. Archie Bradley went an inning, allowed no runs. The only bad bullpen outing of the day was Brandon Kinsler, who allowed three runs and just two-thirds of inning of work. Sam Coonrod, he ended up being the winning pitcher in Sunday's game when an inning in a third, no runs. Christopher Sanchez, who came up, made his major league debut uh, for the Phillies in this game. He goes an inning and a third. Uh, he was up from AAA. Goes an inning and a third, allows just one hit, 22 pitches, two strikeouts. It was nice to see him get his shot. And then Hector Neris back uh, on the roster on Sunday. He goes two-thirds of an inning. Was not a save opportunity, obviously. Gets both strikeouts, two strikeouts, 17 total pitches. His ERA down to 1-9. I keep saying he should still be the closer. He's been one of the most reliable relievers for the Phillies basically all season and still has not allowed a run since I believe JT Romuto called the wrong pitch in Atlanta, and that was a month ago. So Hector Neris has really pitched well. Haven't heard complaints about him in a while. Phillies win this one 12-6. Finish off a two out of three series win over the Nationals at home. They have another off day here today before they play Atlanta at home for three games here later this week. And then another off day, tons of off days here in June. Had an off day last Thursday, off day today, off day on Friday before the Yankees come in for two. Off day, they basically had two off days last week with the rain out. So they're going to play a game later in this month with the Reds. They have a, three more off days after this. It's, it's a wild June, but... They have three games coming up against the Atlanta Braves. Those will certainly be tougher than the games against the Nationals, but how important it is to beat up on a team like the Nationals, who are now 24-32 and 32 and sit in dead last place, tied with the Marlins, but sit in last place in the National League East. And the Phillies, only a half game behind the Braves and could seriously make up some ground here in the National League East. Of course, the Mets are still in first place, but could make up some serious ground by doing some damage here against the Atlanta Braves. A sweep, probably unrealistic. Winning two out of three will certainly be difficult. But they're going to have they're going to need some big pitching outings uh, from the, the from their staff in this game or in the series against the Braves, I should say. You know, Nola going on the mound on Tuesday, you have Eflin on the mound on Wednesday, and then Thursday, Zach Wheeler who's been the ace of your staff. So it's the pitchers you would want going up against the Braves in this series. We'll preview that and a whole lot more coming up this week. On the other side, but first, I wanted to tell you about my friends at Lock, or it's not at Locked On, my friends at Built Bar, who are, of course, friends of the Locked On Podcast Network. Do you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors? When you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their favorites. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors by now, you're certainly missing out. It's coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. There's certainly something for everyone. 
If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get the mixed box where you get two of each of the nine flavors. Flavors, they have 17 to 18 grams of protein, 130 to 180 calories, four to five grams of sugar, four to five grams of net carbs. Again, nine amazing flavors. They're all tasty. And the best part, they're all healthy. Order today, get the raspberry, the mint brownie, or whatever kind you would like. Again, get that mixed box if you are undecided. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use that promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, go to BuiltBar.com. Use that promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your first order. Again, that promo code is L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Also, I have to tell you about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest an easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season, it's in full swing, and you can track all of the action at betonline.ag. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC slash MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in the game as baseball season moves on and the NBA and NHL playoffs move on. Head to the website, Use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Previewing this three-game series against the Atlanta Braves, some are calling this the biggest Philly-Atlanta series going on in the city this week. Uh, you know, of course, the Sixers taking on the Hawks in the second round of the NBA playoffs. I'm being sarcastic, of course. The Phillies, the Sixers taking on the Hawks, Game 2, will be on Tuesday night down at the Wells Fargo Center. Going on at the same time at 7.05, Phillies taking on the Braves, and then play them for two more on Wednesday and then Thursday for the day game. So interesting that the Philly-Atlanta schedule is kind of just working out here, both at the sports complex on Tuesday and then the Braves sticking around on Wednesday and Thursday. Of course, the Sixers dropped Game 1 on Sunday, and I'm sure a lot of Philly sports fans were watching that. Hopefully the Sixers can bounce back in game two. That's all I got on the basketball. Going back to how big of a series this is for the Phillies against the Braves. Look, on Tuesday, Tuesday's a big game for the Phillies. And this is a big, another big start for Aaron Nola. I sound like a broken record at this point, but he's got a 384 ERA on the season. His last couple his last start in Cincinnati, five innings, three runs. He got a couple of strikeouts. He got his 1,000th career strikeout. For that, against the Marlins, looked really good. Six innings allowed a run. But so far this season, he's pitched like a good, but nothing that sniffs a great pitcher. And, you know, this is where the stars align for Arenola. We know he likes pitching in the heat. He's from down in Louisiana. He, he enjoys pitching in the summer. He definitely pitches a lot better at home. And this is a game where he needs to pitch well. And I'm really looking, this is a game that, look, again, it's not a must win because it's you're in June. But this is a, I would say, a critical game perhaps the most critical game in this entire series, because it's going to be Aaron Nola going up against the familiar face in Drew Smiley, who, of course, is a former Philly. He stinks. He's got a 5.98 ERA, and I'm sure I just said that, and the Phillies will manage to give him seven innings, one run somehow on Tuesday night. But this is a game that the Phillies absolutely like should have circled on their calendar, have an off day before a game against the division foe, in the Atlanta Braves, you have Aaron Nola on the mound. It's at home. Like, all the stars are aligning. All the factors are in place for the Phillies to win this game or for the opportunity for the Phillies to win this game. So that's perhaps the game I'm most excited for in this Phillies-Braves series. On Wednesday, another big one. It'll be Zach Eflin on the mound. His ERA recently climbed above four after a little bit of a shaky start down in Tampa. So he will certainly be looking 
for a bounce-back performance, and they will be going up against um, the left-hander from the Braves, who has just only a handful of starts in the major leagues, and Tucker Davidson. Now, he has never faced the Phillies in his career before. Of course, he's just, he's made one, he appeared in one game last year for an inning and two-thirds uh, for the Braves, and then here this year, he's pitched in two games, made two starts. Uh, back on May 18th against the Mets, he went six innings, five hits, allowed three runs, and then most recently against the Nationals, went five and two-thirds, allowed no runs. So this will be his third start, his third start within the National League East this season. And, you know, the Phillies don't have experience going against him, but hopefully that inexperience proves in the Phillies' favor. And again, another big start for Zach Eflin. Hopefully he can bounce back against the Braves lineup. And a Braves lineup that he's already faced a couple of times so far this season. I think back to uh, he made a start in Atlanta back on April 10th where he allowed four runs on six innings pitched the start before that, his first start of the season. He was brilliant at home against the Braves, and then he also pitched down in Atlanta back on May 7th, six and two-thirds, allowed two runs. So uh, certainly a team that he's quite familiar pitching to. Hopefully uh, he can pitch well and have a nice bounce-back performance in front of the home crowd. And then on Thursday in the day game, it's the Phillies' ace. It should feel good every time Zach Wheeler steps on the mound, and they will be going against Ian Anderson. So a pair of right-handers. In this game, Ian Anderson having a pretty strong, a pretty strong season, 3.64 ERA. He's coming off a couple of shaky starts where he's gone four and four thirds, four and a third inning respectively, allowed four runs. Uh, he's been pretty consistent in getting about six strikeouts in his last couple of performances. In the four inning performance, the four and a third inning performance, he had six strikeouts in a six inning performance against the Pirates. He last pitched against the Phillies on May the eighth. He allowed three runs. He allowed three runs in six innings pitched, and of course he pitched uh, in a game. He pitched in a, a couple times against the Phillies early on in the season back on April 10th in Atlanta, five and a third inning pitched and four runs. And I know he also pitched into a loss, essentially, uh, when the Phillies took on the Braves in the first weekend of the season at Citizens Bank Park in a game that was won by Zach Eflin. So a three-game set here against the Braves. It's always intriguing, always you get revved up when you play the Braves. You would hope this team gets revved up to play the Atlanta Braves. I, I wasn't going to say it's always fun because it's not. Certainly, uh, the Braves have been a thorn in the Phillies side overall for many years now. And I still believe the team who will likely emerge out of this National League East. The Mets have sustained a number of injuries so far this season and have kind of kept that nice buffer zone at the top of the division. They're currently three and a half ahead of the Braves right now. The Braves the half game above the Phillies, so... Certainly some ground to be made up here in June, a, as big of a series for the Phillies as June gets. You heard me talk last week with Josh Neighbors in the Locked on Phillies, Locked on Nationals crossover episode. Kind of the uphill climb for the Phillies, and even more so the Nationals after the series this past weekend, is going to be digging themselves out of the hole they've made for themselves and then staying afloat the entire time, cons consistently trending upwards. You can't just you know, tre tread water and stay 500 for the rest of the season and expect that to work out. So I'm looking for the Phillies. It's another critical series, with one where they probably need to win two of three. You got the Yankees coming in this weekend. Not that they've been playing great baseball either. They're going to be a hungry team coming into Philadelphia this weekend. I expect there to be a lot of Yankee fans, uh, even though the fact that they're just a couple of games above 500 and are in fourth place in the American League East. So that's going to be a new environment for this Phillies team. Is Citizens Bank Park allows full capacity. It's always tough games against the Yankees. So before they come in and before you have to go out west next week to the Dodgers, to the Giants, 
These are the games you need to win at home within your division, and hopefully they can do that. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Phillies podcast. For more Locked on Phillies, make sure you're subscribed. Follow Locked on Phillies on Twitter at LO underscore Phillies and myself at Dan underscore Wilson 4. Get all the sports news you need in less than 20 minutes with the Locked on Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked on Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.